Welcome to the season finale of Flop Stars. If you're new here, Flop Stars is a podcast looking at our favourite pop stars in our hearts who can't quite compete on the charts. I'm joined as always by our resident pop expert, Nick Kelly, to look at an underrated project that has won cult adoration. For our final episode, we're turning to the ultimate flop star, Robin. While not always claiming top spot on the charts, she's become the gold standard of pop music. We're looking into her seminal record, Body Talk, a 15-track opus that houses some of the greatest pop songs of our time, from Dancing On My Own to Call Your Girlfriend. Hello, hello, Nick. Welcome to our season finale. I'm so excited. I thought we'd make it. I'm excited too. Did you? Such an optimist. I'm always an optimist. (laughs) Is optimist the word you would use to describe us two after this (laughs) season? I guess we are looking positively at albums that um, the charts haven't. So there's an element of half... Glass half full. I always come out at the other end of the episodes with an increased optimism about the records, though. I've never left one of our episodes of Flop Stars feeling less positive about an album, even Journals by Bieber. Even Journals. Yeah, I agree, actually. Even Bionic, I will say. Or even the the shit Miley Cyrus album. (laughs) I found a few songs that I took away from this with me. You found some glimmers of hope. Last week, I think it... It kind of um, accidentally kick-started a bit of a movement because hashtag Justice for Bionic started trending after it. This has nothing to do with us, by the way. It's pure coincidence. How did we not realise it was 10 years since Bionic, like pretty much to the week that we did the episode? Totally missed it. Totally missed it. That's why we need a producer. Exactly. Um, (laughs) We're hiring. Jump in our DMs. Um, Anyone but Jackson Langford can have the job. Um, <laughs> but what are we doing for our final episode? I, I can't believe we are doing this. I'm, I'm so excited for this artist. So we've had this planned out for so long and we always knew that we wanted to kickstart our podcast with Carly and we wanted to end on the other best flop star, if there is such a title, which is Robin. Oh. So for our last episode, we're going to be diving into Robin's Body Talk record. So ready for this, so ready for this. We both went back on it um, in the last few days. I went on a massive Robin deep dive again yesterday, which I have not done for a very, very long time. I think since I literally discovered Robin, which would have been in... Oh, I was late to Robin, I won't lie. I was late to Robin. I reckon I discovered her properly in like 2016, 17, which is embarrassing. Um, I think I literally... I think I literally did a deep dive in like like when Callum Scott did his cover of Dancing on My Own. I think, no, no did you? I, I, I knew Robin before then, but I think I didn't do my deep dive until that was a hit. And then I'd gone back on the Robin version and then I then went down a rabbit hole. But it was good to revisit that moment. When did, it's a nice rabbit hole to have to be able to go, go down, I think. When did you discover her? So I um, went to see Sneaky Sound System way back i can't even remember what the year was but it was just kind of in between the first and second album i know because i was um treated to a premiere of somebody in kansas city loves me and an absolute banger and this figure kind of appeared on the stage and to me it looked like i've since got glasses 
but to me it looked like an old man coming out to like read the house rules because occasionally they would come out and be like no flash blah 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 it was it was one of my first concerts i didn't know how it worked anyway it turned out to be robin holy shit and this was before body talk so she was just kind of having success with with every heartbeat and they were trying to get it to take off in Australia, so they'd obviously slapped her onto the sneaky sound system tour. And then I was like, this is incredible. And then I started my deep dive, which there wasn't much to dive through then, but now there's plenty. So back then, what were they trying to position Robin as? Were they trying to make her a dance, a kind of commercial dance act or like an <clears throat> indie dance act at the time? I think in Europe, there was a lot of that kind of like four to the floor like dance pop music going on and they were trying to slot her into that and they were particularly trying to make her quite big in the UK because these are back in the days, remember, when you would, um, if you're an artist, I'll take Kelly Rowland, for example. The best kind of example. And she used to... (laughs) The the pinnacle of success. (laughs) And she was doing like an EDM thing with David Guetta, but she was also doing the urban side. So they were servicing the urban records to the US and they were servicing the dance records to the UK and then Australia was kind of falling somewhere in the middle. So Robin is obviously very much on the European side and it's interesting and I'm sure we'll talk about it a lot during this podcast but how um, weird her kind of pop music was for American audiences back then and how perfect it was for European audiences. It's very weird to consider that there was still that divide then because now I don't think it exists as much. It's very much closed. I think you still hear, you know, there's a slight difference with the dance records. I think you still hear some of those more drum and bass driven records and those kind of, um, what would you call them? Sort of Oliver Heldens, Gorgon City kind of records that really yeah. resonate in the UK but don't do so in the US. Um, yeah. and, and similarly, I think you hear those more sort of like urban led dance records doing better in the U S than they do in the UK. So there's a slight divide there, but now something like a Robin really kind of resonates across both continents. And, um, interesting. She said in an interview with pop justice, when she was starting this body talk rollout, obviously pop justice asked if anyone thinks she makes bad music. And she said, um, lots of people in America dismiss dance music as something kitsch. It's bad music in inverted commas yeah which is so interesting because last year she played madison square garden and has obviously (laughs) been like a draw card of every festival in the u.s so the way that's changed is just crazy because even though dancing on my own is considered to be kind of like the pinnacle of pop music now it never even brush the charts in the US. And that's seemingly been the, th- the theme of a lot of the flop stars we've looked at, where the adoration for the type of music and the daringness of the music has grown over time as other people have made records that are similar um, and other people have made records that kind of follow the sound or follow the daringness and have been lauded. Then we go back and look at where their influences were. And so many people now credit Robin as an influence, um, even so many years on. But it's so interesting to think that, yeah, it probably was was considered to be quite kitsch music. You've got these really kind of, you know, obvious sounding synthesizers that aren't trying to be real instruments as such. You've got these really, you know, sharp, arpeggiated, you know, fake sounding keyboards um, and really hard kind of four to the floor drums that really were kind of, you know, straight up dance music. And it probably was considered to be kitsch at a time when, you know, the pop records were definitely more 
you know, the pop records had real guitars in them. Um, you think about your Rihanna and your Katy Perry records, the, even the dance-led pop records had real guitars. They sounded like they almost had real drums in them as well. And here's Robin yeah. making this, like, I'm not going to try and, like, mask my music in, in, in faux realness. I'm just going to make straight-up electronic music. It, which is amazing and so funny to watch the way that Honey was perceived last year or 2018 when it was released. It was almost like highbrow. Yeah. Now, the way that pop music has changed where Carly Rae has obviously had so much success making this kind of music and Charlie XCX that now Robin is kind of on the next tier of that where she looks like she belongs in like a pop museum or something. (laughs) Exactly. An ancient artifact of the pop world. But that I think is a real, is another theme of of what this season has brought for us with flop stars and what we've discovered across these records is the stripping back of the fakeness of records and the stripping back of the the faux guitars and the the faux real drums, you know, and and people using electronic instruments for their intended purpose um, rather than trying to manipulate them to sound like real instruments. I think people have gotten a lot more friendly with electronic sounding music and therefore we understand that Robin was actually quite ahead of her time at this point. I don't think I think enough about the connection between pop music and club music because it's always gone quite hand in hand with me. I guess I've grown up in kind of like the church of Robin and studied that kind of pop music but I haven't thought about at the time that um, particularly the Robin, the self-titled record, and then even Body Talk as well. Club and pop music weren't really married at all. Like you had that 90s burst where obviously the 90s club music was very popular in the charts, but then it just completely faded away. So I think when you hear a record like Dancing on My Own and that beat is just so immediate straight away, it's it would have been quite weird to hear at the time because people were just not making pop music for the clubs unless it was remixed for it. What do you think it is about the timing of when electronic sounding music and club sounding music was popular? What do you think it is about those times that tie them together? Because I've got a theory on it. Uh, if I had to take a stab in the dark, just just off nothing, I think that kind of um, festivals were maybe starting to accept Um, dance music particularly in the US obviously it was already a big thing in the UK Mm -hmm. and the US is kind of was and is still is in a way the epicenter of where all kind of pop music feeds through so I think in that way that's why it started obviously EDM was the next thing that came along and I think that kind of started the wave of allowing more electronic four to the floor to be in pop music but that's really a stab stab in the dark I actually did watched the um, Coachella documentary that they did on 20 Years and they talked about um, having Madonna there as the first real superstar of the festival when she did Confessions on a Dance Floor. And that, to me, is kind of where you can pinpoint the point at which club music and pop music started to come together. Obviously, Madonna is always a bit ahead of her time, so there was a bit of a delay in that, but... Yeah, that's my long-winded answer. No, totally. And just something I ha- honestly haven't thought about too much. And I think looking into, you know, looking at this record, um, the you know, there's a song like Hang With Me on, on this album that really kind of sounds yeah. like a Madonna record. It sounds like it would have belonged on Confessions on a Dance Floor. Totally. Um, like, and e- even the way that, you know, that Robin delivers her vocal on that track 
just it's got that kind of like you know that cleanness and that smoothness that Madonna can only deliver um and you yeah. see Robin go away from that kind of I suppose she can she can sound sort of like quite birdie at times if that's a an adjective at all um <laughs> but she's you know she kind of mellows it <laughs> out a little bit <laughs> But yeah, she kind of hits those those higher, sharper kind of notes, and I think on um, on Hang with Me, the, the she kind of goes into that more Madonna kind of register. Um, so I think there's a connection there. My thought on the times that club music has been popular, and I think we are we're starting to see not a resurgence of house music, but I definitely feel like house music is a lot more, uh, and dance music as a whole is currently, and and I think will continue to be a little bit more, you know, in the in the public psyche. And I think it happens when we need times that we need moments of escapism. Um, I think club yeah, clubs are associated with escapism, and escapism is required in times of crisis. And I think we've seen over the journey, you know, when, when political turmoil happens or, you know, the world just feels a bit fucked that club music kind of makes a slight little jump up. And so I think after this kind of period that the world is going through in 2020, um, with the virus and, and with the political situation, I think we'll see another resurgence of club music and people trying to escape their everyday lives and listen to things that are manufactured and listen to things that are, you know, obviously fake that allow them to escape. That's so interesting to consider, something I've never really pieced together. But now I think about it, I think it happens in three stages when there's something happening particularly political and when music responds to it and there's the start of it which is the protest when you can still enact change when you can still change the decision of the public when they're voting for somebody like Trump or Bush and then after that there's kind of the sadness that comes with dealing with the fact that the majority of people have voted in somebody who's essentially awful and sexist and every other adjective you want to use and then there comes a point when it's like I just can't keep going like this anymore. We need to unleash. And we're at that point now, you know, like we've yes. had the Kendricks, like to pimp a butterfly. Um, we've had those really like political, um, really poignant records. Like you even have Taylor Swift making political statements. And now we're at the point where we've got Dua, we've got Lizzo and we've got Carly all kind of like making this really joyous music. And Charlie XCX, obviously really recently making joyous music as escapism, which is really cool. And I think particularly being in quarantine right now, people want that kind of music. People want the Robins of the world, which is why Robin's kind of doing like live stream DJ sets. That's the music you want. You don't want people to remind you of the situation we're in. We're all very aware of it. <laughs> exactly. It's our whole entire truth at the moment. I think you nailed it there. It really is a case in these kind of times of protest, commiseration, and then this mix of escapism with celebration, with like a tiny touch of acknowledgement of the situation. Yeah. And if I'm right, if I'm correct, I think Robin's coming in around the end of Bush, beginning of Obama, which would make sense for our theory, but I'm not... I would need to double check that before I hand myself a gold star. Yeah, something was in the water though, and uh, we'll yeah. we'll dive into it afterwards. And if anyone's got any ideas of what was kind of going on in the world, feel free to tweet us um, at Sam underscore Interns and at Nick W Kelly um, because yeah. you may have something that we don't think of. Exactly, I doubt it, but potentially. <laughs> Coming back, coming back on track after our little political tangent. 
you can hear our new podcast on um the guardian <laughs> body talk obviously a huge record um robin is this kind of underground pop hero from her last record that's had um a little bit of success in the uk obviously she had big early success with um show me love and then she kind of disappeared for a bit came back with her own label had a hit in the uk with with every heartbeat and then body talk she wanted to switch up things again and she decided that instead of releasing the album as a whole she was going to make it in real time and she was going to release it in three parts so dancing on my own was part one um, I think Hang With Me was part two and I think Indestructible was part three and Call Your Girlfriend were part three. And then she bundled them all together on Body Talk. And by the time Body Talk came out as a whole, it was already pretty obvious that this was going to be a, like a, a pretty special pop record because Dancing On My Own was already getting the critics like excited, but it wasn't so much getting the charts excited, which is so interesting and maybe just because what we spoke about before that the club music hadn't really met pop music commercially just yet. Yeah. So I want to say how this album actually went because it's, I was, I knew it hadn't done amazing, but I was surprised how badly it had actually done. So in the UK, it charted at 168. In Australia, it charted at, 21 on the dance chart which mean it didn't even make the on the dance chart. chart on the dance chart and in the US it reached 142 so dancing on my own was a mild hit globally but it only reached a peak of 8 in the UK and that was kind of the most successful moment from the album that is and phenomenal in hindsight that she has festivals around the world singing it without prompt it's just a wild journey for this album. Wow. This is literally the most definitive flop star of them all. Really is. Like, crazy how underrated it was at the time. To put it in perspective, Callum Scott's 2016 cover did better in nearly every single market apart from Sweden, and it reached number two in the UK and Australia. That is phenomenal. That is phenomenal, phenomenal. to me. And I think, you know, it, with that Callum Scott, you know, reinterpretation, um, you know, we'll hang shit on it. But what it really did was highlight the brilliance of Robin's songwriting. And Callum's, yeah. Callum's spoken about that endlessly in the many interviews I watch of Callum Scott. Sometimes on a Saturday night, I'll just Google Callum Scott interviews and just watch them uh, you don't, on, do on repeat. <laughs> the ones I have seen over the journey, he, he really, you know, he... he fucking loves Robin. You know, he's a gay man. He, he knows yeah. what's up. Um, but what that, what that cover really did was highlight the brilliance of Robin's songwriting. Unfortunately for a lot of the public, they don't know still that Robin exists and they still yeah. think that song is a ballad by Callum Scott. But it shows the real heartbreak of that record. Um, like it is just so sweepingly heartbreaking and, and, you know, regardless of how you perform it and what you put around it, um, it's just so excellent. It's something she actually kind of did herself with when she was releasing this album in three parts. She didn't do it with Dancing On My Own, but every part featured an acoustic version of the single that was to come. So on the first part of Body Talk, you had Hang With Me as an acoustic version. 
And then when the next part came out, it was the full production of Hang With Me. And they did the same with Indestructible as well, which is so interesting because you often get the the song and then you get the acoustic versions and the remixes and stuff. But to hear it stripped bare and then to hear it built up and beefed up in the way that only Robin can do with just those like pulsating beats is really was a really cool way to do it, I think. I love that concept. And I love the idea of stripping it back first, allowing people to get to the gore of it, which for Robin, it's interesting with Robin's relationship with production. I don't think her, she's one of the, the few pop stars where the melody and lyrics and her voice really drove these records. And what the production kind of did was give moments of hope in despair-driven songs when the lyrics yeah. were so despair were so full of despair and and hopelessness the the production would then lift that up and give that hope that at the other end of talking through these emotions you there's something good to come out of it and you'll come out stronger that's what the production yeah. did for Robin's records but i love the idea of getting to the heartbreak and the pain first in an acoustic kind of version and then a few months later getting the fully produced version that gives you that hope at the end of it, it gives you a really long journey to connect with Robin yeah. um and that's such an exciting way to do things i can't believe i'm about to say it but you've nailed it i think you've nailed the the whole thing of body yes! talk like if you think of dancing on my own, and I guess not to bring Callum Scott up too much in this podcast because <laughs> people might run us down in the street. Um, but I think when you think of dancing on my own as a song stripped to its core, it's like this really lonely, devastating ballad, like this picture of somebody being alone in the crowd, like it kind of doesn't get much more, much sadder than that. Absolutely. And then you, and then you add the production to it and it suddenly becomes this euphoric dance track. And then you've got this weird juxtaposition between melancholy and euphoria, which turns out to be the ultimate combination when you're in a festival or a club setting or even by yourself, really. And I think that's something that Robin nailed that nobody has ever done as well. Maybe Madonna, but apart from that, I think that that's something that's unique to Robin, that she's been able to do that. You know what, Sam? You've nailed it. Oh, wow. (laughs) Nailed it's the new touchdown for us. (laughs) Yeah, I I really, I couldn't agree more on that. Um, And I I agree with the Madonna comparison and that I really, truly cannot think of anyone else who's truly nailed it because I think anyone that's tried to do the same thing has felt like they've tried to do it. And like yeah. they've, they've been, you know, they've heard a Robin record and gone, I'm going to try and do that and never quite nailed it. Um, and not to like, not to dis- discredit somebody like Lord or Dua Lipa, but because they do their own thing and they do it very well. But when they put it into um, dance context, it's often like anger directed at a person. Whereas if you think about Robin, it's never, it never comes from an angry place. Like it, it's always very personal to them and, very almost like one-sided in terms of the narrative you get to hear like her side of it but it's not like an angry like don't start now you know exactly where Jura is and like she hates someone and like the relationship's over but with Robin you never get that kind of anger in a song absolutely I'm not sure what that has to do with anything honestly (laughs) sounds like I've just taken taken an opportunity to trash Jura but that's not my intention at all as dis- we love you. As discussed just before the podcast, uh, Sam messaged me being like, 
hey, we're just going to do body talk because otherwise we'll talk for three hours. And I said, we'll talk for three hours anyway. And here we are yeah. uh, 27 minutes in talking about um, something, s- some kind of long-winded analogy about Dua Lipa. So we, we were right. We were right in our But thinking. look what we've given you. We've given you um, politics. We've given you geographical explanations oh, on music. The range, darling. She's got the range. <laughs> Where do we go from here? Let's go into a game. I love that idea. Because it can't get better. So we may as well make it worse. <laughs> so we're going to reduce all of Robin's work by... Um, <laughs> By bringing her to a mere comparison between herself and other people called Robin. Like so this. this is a game called Robin or Another Robin. I can think of some good Robins. There are some good Robins. It's a good name. I might actually name my kid Robin and just pray they follow in the footsteps of every Robin apart from Robin Thick. <laughs> <laughs> What's the first uh, Robin versus Robin, Sam? <laughs> All right, are you ready for this? I'm this ready. is dancing on my own. Mm-hmm. I'm just gonna dance all night. Obviously, the the big one versus "We Found Love" <coughs> by Robin Rihanna Fenty. You've done a hard Two one straight away. Absolute huge records. And when we did our interns list of the best songs of the decade, these were number one and two. Wow. Yeah. It's a Robin thing. Um, yeah, you really have put a very, very difficult situation to me here. Um, I mean, We Found Love just has, from the moment you hear those synths at the start, the moment you hear that, dun, 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 like you just know something good's about to happen. Everything about it is perfect. It had that slight bit of 2010 cheapness to it, but was such a big euphoric pop record about, you know, the clarity of finding love in a hopeless place, but dancing on my own is dancing on my own, Sam. I know. I know, Nick. So it's just going to have to be dancing on my own. Like, yeah, the heartbreak and the, the heartbreak and the longing and the yearning and the, the bloody hurt you feel of seeing that person kissing that other person. Like, we all, we feel it on a carnal level, Sam. So it's going to be that. (laughs) Someone's going through it. (laughs) Someone's got those eyes so fierce. I wish. I wish. (laughs) Um, I think the, a comparison between these songs is they're kind of um, both very like over the top emotional in their own ways. Yeah. But they're both, um dance songs that are meant to be experienced together, but they're essentially about very intimate moments. So it's almost like there's a spotlight on just one couple in a crowd. Totally. And I think that's what makes them so um, melancholic melancholic and euphoric, like I said before. It's like splitting hairs for me to choose one that I like the most because I love them both so much. Um, But yeah, I think just in... I think Dancing on My Own by... By that much. I here's the thing. Yeah, it's really hard to compare those records. I think every time we've done this kind of game, this 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 season, there's been a comparability between the records we've put up. But these two are just so in their own field. Yes, they're both electronic records, but they're both yeah. so in their own lane in many ways that it's very hard yeah. to put them up against each other. So don't think that that's me dissing. We found love. Like it's 
Which, yeah. Well, I suppose that's the nature of putting people up against each other based purely on their names. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. That's how it works. Makes sense. The next one we're going (laughs) to do is Call Your Girlfriend the Show Me Love by Robin S. So Robin also had a song called Show Me Love, but Show Me Love by Robin S was like a more club-centric record and is obviously, like, you'll still hear it if you go out today. Well, not obviously not today, but... Do you know that Robin Show Me, Robin, as in the Robin we're talking about today, Show Me Love by her is still the only Robin record that gets commercial radio play. It still kind of comes up every now and then um, Crazy. on commercial radio. Nothing else does. So it's more of like a, an R&B record, yeah, because I always yeah. used to get confused between this Show Me Love and that one. It was almost like a Christina kind of energy. Yeah, um, yeah. But also like a Britney Baby One More Time kind of vibe. Like it was roughly the same tempo as Baby One More Time. Um, it's so good. Like it's such a good song. But it definitely sat yeah. more in that world of, um, you know, the Max Martin-led production um, that you would have found at the time. Yeah. Did Max Martin produce it? I'm I wouldn't no- be surprised. 90% sure he did. Let me just triple check that by researching. Uh, because was, if that's true, there's an there's an even more interesting point to make. He did. He did. So that means he then did that record with her, which was like an R and B record, and then he returned on Body Talk and produced Time Machine, which is obviously a big dance song. So yes. How cool. Anyway. How cool. No, seriously, that it's sick that Max is, you know, Max continues to pop up every now and then with these incredible artists and so he's many also ahead of the curve. Of this he has. Yeah, exactly. It just shows, but we're not here to talk about that man. We're here to talk about We're not. This woman. Have we chosen one? No, no. we haven't chosen one. No. I'm going call your girlfriend because it's just like just a few steps below dancing on my own but still one of the greatest pop songs of all time. Show Me Love by Robin S was recorded whilst Robin S was um, had the flu. And she wow. reckons that that's why it's so emotionally driven, because she was fucking feeling fluey and gross. Um, so that's quite incredible, you know, factual information about Show Me Love. Um, yeah. I, I will also go Call Your Girlfriend. Um, shouts out to the Australian pop star Sam Bluer, who does a killer cover of... Call Your Girlfriend in his live show. There um, it's It's just, yeah. Go see him when you can. Go see him when he does another show, when anyone's allowed to do a show. But yeah, I really, really like it. Um, I, obviously, it's it's Call Your Girlfriend, so of course I like it. But yes. And how cool to like write a song. The lyrics of those are just so un-pop song. To write a whole <laughs> entire song, literally directing someone to call their girlfriend and tell them like, <laughs> It's done. I've got somebody else yeah. now. Give That's your just reasons. a take on a relationship that they, you just don't get in pop music very often. Exactly. It's like, like you're not going to get Katy Perry reaching that depth. I can tell you that. And if you remember, um, Zara Larson, what was the song? Ain't My Fault. Zara Larson's Ain't My Fault, which came out only a few years ago. Incredible sharp hard pop song um it yeah. was in this in a similar vein it was a whole oh, yeah. concept of, of it's the bloody swedes their home records they are but zara got told to pull back the lyrics 
and oh. and change them. And I believe it was a many K. One of the co-writers on the record did not know that until the record dropped and heard these like sanitized lyrics about dumping your girlfriend and how it's not Zara's fault that she's hotter. Um, but they were originally <laughs> much more um, intense and raunchy. And Whereas I think with Robin's Robin's Call Your Girlfriend, she's done the same kind of song, but just in a really direct, clear-cut, simple, easy-to-understand way. And that's why it's so iconic. Yeah, that's cool. Wow. I want to hear the uncut version from Zara now. It's somewhere. I've got it somewhere. It's, it's fucking savage. Oh, leak it on the show. I will. They don't call me Nick Leakey for nothing. Um... <laughs> What's our third Robin? Oh, yeah, I want your right, let's... yeah. Your call your girlfriend team as well, right? Yeah, good. Yeah, I think we're going to roll through these next two quickly, unless you're a um, surprise Robin Thicke fan. So the next one is "Hang with Me" versus "When I Get You Alone" by Robin Thicke. Do 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 Remembering he was known as just Thick at this point. I think this was like '99, 2000. Oh, was he? he was just Thick, but um, it was still Robin Thicke. Um, he, you know what? Great song, to be honest. It's a very, very good song. It, it is obviously has that really. Um, what's the, what's the sample? What what is the? I don't. I don't know. But I do know. Oh, I don't know. I'd have to look that up. I've no idea. I mean, it's. I'll look it up while you do your answer. But um, for me. It's Hang With Me. I love how Madonna-esque it is. It really kind of feels like a gold standard Swedish pop song. Um, I love her vocal on it so much. The production's really kind of like a little bit more grandiose than some of the other records. Um, so, yeah, it's definitely going to be Hang With Me for me. It's a three for three for Robin at the moment. Yeah, Hang With Me too. And also, so, as we were talking about, like, taking a slightly different um, perspective on things with all her lyrics, this one in terms of, like, Taking a relationship slowly is often not um, very juicy for a pop song, but she does it incredibly well. Yeah. Okay, the answer to our question, what was that sample on the Robin Thicke song? Um, The songwriters are credited on When I Get You Alone as Robin Thicke, Walter Murphy and Ludwig van Beethoven. It's uh, Beethoven's Fifth Symphony. <laughs> and Walter Murphy had done a disco version of that, that symphony. I would definitely know it. Like he, there was a disco version. Okay, well I must I must know yeah. the disco version, not the bloody Beethoven. In '76, maybe... Walter Murphy did a, a disco version called "A Fifth of Beethoven," which was a flip, and then that's what's actually sampled in "When I Get You Alone." But you'd know the disco version. Oh, maybe I'm going to change my answer. Robin hasn't got a bloody Beethoven clearance. <laughs> It's very impressive. Thank you to um, th- thank you to the Beethoven Estate um, for their clearance of that sample. It's very kind. <laughs> Can you imagine emailing Beethoven's Estate, going, "Hey, got this got this record for this R and B star that we need to get across the line. Um, you mind if we use a little bit of Old Mate's Symphony? That'd be great." Who is Cheers. even running Beethoven's Estate? Like, who? It's probably a really boring answer. It's probably one of the the publishing houses that have the credit yeah. that have the rights now, okay. but but you know you know that, maybe anyway, that can be a deep this dive. Is why this maybe we'll do some si- <laughs> maybe we can do symphonies in season two. <laughs> Absolutely not! I wouldn't even know where to start now. Now I know one symphony. I know Beethoven's Symphony Number no. Five, but apart from that. <laughs> 
<laughs> What's our fourth Robin versus another Robin? <laughs> um, the next one is Indestructible versus Waves by Mr. Probs. But hang on, Robin Schultz remix. Ah, yes, 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 of course. Um, I, so I believe Waves by Mr. Probs was originally a slow kind of, I think almost acoustic R&B ballad. And then Robin Schultz yeah. chucked a Tropical House beat under it when Tropical House was starting to become a thing, I think 2014, 15 kind of time. Um, big radio hit in Australia. I don't know if it was in, was it a big hit in the US as well? I can't remember. I have absolutely no idea. <laughs> I mean, my obvious answer is indestructible. I love the glitchiness of it. Um, it feels like a real, like one of the more experimental moments on the album. Um, yeah. But, you know, Waves by Mr. Probs, Robin Schultz remix. Not a terrible song. Not a terrible little, little ditty. What about you? Um, I disagree with you. I'd say it is a terrible little ditty. <laughs> um, and I would... T- Go a hard indestructible on this one. <laughs> they, I, this was around the period, my short um, period of DJing, and every time somebody would come up, what would be in my head would literally be Don't Request Waves by Mr. Props. And you'd always get requests for Waves by Mr. Props? Always get requests for Mr. Props. <laughs> that and Pitbull, but I was always, I always liked the Pitbull request. Brilliant. Brilliant. Well, that was a really good round. I really enjoyed that as a one of our final awe rounds for the for the season. Yeah, I did as well. It wasn't the best one because she won all of them, so I've probably <laughs> got to think a little bit more about. That's all right. I've got. I've actually got one. My game coming up very shortly is similar in vein and may challenge your conception of whether Robin wins. So get ready. Okay, good. Get good. ready. Let's take Robin down. <laughs> All right, if we're thinking about what pop looks like now, do you think it would look any different if Robin didn't exist? That's a very big question. It's a very big existential question. Um, I would say the breadth of pop wouldn't look like it does now. I don't think you'd see artists like... Oh, shit, I don't even know. Like, who really is Robin's contemporary? Like, who is a contemporary of Robin at the moment? Yes, you may say Carly's got some influence there. Um, someone like a, oh, a f- Foxes, left of centre idea, but... I don't... Who? I've written down... But I think that all those kind of, like, Foxes artists have come directly from the school of Robin. Like, when you think of, like, Foxes, um, Dagny, like, that kind of, like, um, really internet pop type realm but yeah. i think if we're talking on a big scale in terms of like it can go beyond sound it can go into song re- writing or release like these are the artists who've counted robin as a huge inspiration so there's lord carly ray jepson mm-hmm. perfume genius the 1975 charlie xcx are the main ones that i picked up on but you'd say and none of them s- really sound or feel the same as robin right well, I would say that Lord has that similar appreciation for um, the four to the floor beat and yeah. for a really melancholic slash euphoric moment. Um, definitely, she's the biggest one. Yeah, I think Carly is um, not sonically really aligned with Robin, but I would say they share the same fans. Yeah. Um, Charlie XCX, I think, is inspired by Robin in the way that Robin <coughs> blew open the rule book for pop stars. She started her own record label. 
she released this album in three parts. She wanted to release music very quickly um, and then very slowly, as it turns out. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I think in that way, that's where the Charlie comparisons lie. But you're right, there's no one really making music that sounds exactly like Dancing on My Own. Right Which now. is a great thing. And I think that's a really interesting point. She may not have any sonic contemporaries, but she has a lot of contemporaries from the emotion that her music brings out. Yeah. There are a lot of people who are conveying their emotion in a similar way and, and, and blowing that kind of juxtaposition open. Um, and, you know, I suppose the juxtaposition wasn't a new thing. People had been doing deeply sad songs with, you know, with excited emotive what's the word i'm looking for where uh, euphoric euphoric um with euphoric <laughs> production no i liked that thanks for letting me flail like a fucking magic harp um <laughs> yeah people people had been doing that kind of comparison but not really with electronic music and definitely not yeah in to the to the to the objectively brilliant way that robin was doing it um yeah but i so going back to your question as to whether pop music would sound like it does today. I reckon a few artists probably wouldn't have been daring enough to do the music that's gotten them to their notoriety had it not been for Robin. Yeah, I agree. But I think, um, now I'm thinking more about it, I think there are a few songs off the top of my head that I can tie directly to Robin's kind of songwriting. And that's, I think, Lord, um, Supercut and Greenlight are big robin inspired cuts i think the 1975 um someone else is a big kind of yeah robin track um my 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 troy savan oh like yes in that of course kind of planet you know like they're the kind of things i'm thinking about yeah and actually thinking about a lot of the troy records even from the early stuff there was a fair bit of that kind of sonic influence going on um yeah and but these are three like very uh, I was going to say objectively good, in my opinion, which would make it subjective. Subjective. Um, Lord Troy Sivan, the 1975, all like masters of songwriting, really, and in particular pop songwriting. I think it's very easy to take on Robin's brand of very out there, very like big beat, hard on sleeve pop music and overdo it and make it corny to a point that it's just like too much. I think, and there's a lot of like British club music where they just get a singer on a house track and the, that thing happens where it's just like the emotion doesn't feel real because it's just overdone. Whereas it takes a special songwriter to be able to pull it back and still make people really feel it. Agree. Great. We'll just end it there then. <laughs> uh, I try and give you a. A launch pad to to move to the next thing and then you just rip me apart. <laughs> <laughs> the problem is I'm big and I do this in interviews as well. I'll just give people my kind of thoughts and then just hope that they'll just assume <laughs> they'll just know what the question is. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Which often dude. just ends up with someone being like, Yeah. And yeah. then there's just there a, a long cool. period of silence. Good chat. Good chat. <laughs> Whenever they do that, I always just, um, like if I'm in an interview, I always just, um, and like I'm writing it up, I'll always just cut the yep out and just move myself on to the next question. Um, so I yeah. don't look like a dickhead, but it's not as easy to do on a podcast. <laughs> anyway, enough about our poor interviewing technique. <laughs> I do, before, 
Before we move on to your game, I just want to ask, because I think if anybody's um, had the pleasure of seeing Robin live, the whole show is a very um, immersive, emotional experience, but dancing on my own in particular is like nothing I've ever seen. And the way she does it in her current show is when it gets to the first chorus, she just cuts the music and the crowd sings. And after the crowd sings and they end the chorus, she doesn't do anything. It's just silence. And then the crowd starts cheering and the applaud when I saw her was so overwhelming that it was like goosebumps all over your body. And then suddenly the beat drops and it goes into the, I'm just going to dance all night. And I have never, I've got like goosebumps now talking about it. Oh, I've I'm never getting goosebumps. Seen a crowd react to a moment like that. And it, that's like not normal. That's not just a good pop song. Like that's something else. That is and I'm so like, special. What is it about that that triggers such a reaction? And it wasn't just me. It was everybody I was with had the same response to it. I think it's, and I haven't had the pleasure of seeing her live yet. Not that I can remember at least. I don't know. <laughs> I, I would remember that. I would remember that no matter how much. You would know. What, it's not impossible ever, to forget. Regardless of how much smuggled in vodka I would have piled through my body, I would remember <laughs> the Robin concert. Um, the, you, you, you're so, that, that really brought back a lot of thoughts for me. You know, just sometimes you see a show and, and you do get that goosebumpy kind of feeling and when they stop for 30 seconds, a minute, two minutes, and just soak in the audience for a little second and just and then bring it back. Um, I'm trying yeah. to think of the last artist that did that. That I was I, Mika Mika was a bit like that. I won't lie. I know it sounds kitsch, but it's a good trick. It was an amazing it was a good trick, but it had reason. Um, I think it was with Happy yeah. Ending, um, a song oh. that we just adore. Um, just love it. Yeah, so Mika was probably the last one that that's happened to me before, and it's happened a few times. But I think I think it really all goes back to what we were talking about the 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 clarity with which she talks about the things she talks about on a record like Dancing on My Own, on a record like Call Your Girlfriend. There's no no metaphors. There's no tying things up in sort of superlative superlative. Why am I so bad with words today? That's the word. That's the word, isn't it? Superlative. Hyperbolic language. There's no, there's no exaggerations. Yeah. It's just straight talking over a beat that makes you feel this horrific mix of hopeful and hopeless. And yeah. everyone's heard that song or had an experience like that, even if they hadn't heard the song before. And that's what combines people in that live setting. And that's what creates those goosebump inducing moments like that. I think that's what yeah. Robin does that, that brings such an emotional reaction is it's experiences and memories that come to the forefront when you hear someone speak so plainly and so clearly for the first time about something like that. Yeah. Absolutely. And I also think another point that has come up quite a lot throughout the season <clears throat> is this idea of um, music made for outcasts. And we kind of talked about it with Gaga on a much bigger scale, um, but we've, all, we've talked about it with a lot of the artists we've done. And I think these kind of artists that sit just to the left of the mainstream they make music for a pocket of people that are, often feel like they're underrepresented within mainstream culture. And then suddenly you've got this moment where you're 
where you're listening to this song that's been made for feels like for you and it's a song about being alone but you're with everybody you're with all these like-minded people and then it's just like a different experience i think is what i think is what what robin's music what oh god i can't even talk what am i oh you caught my fucking disease I think I'm having a strike. Um, <laughs> but I hopes. think that's what makes Robin's music so special to so many people because they feel like they're making it for her. Yeah. And suddenly you go from being um, the outcast to finding yourself a community that's led by Robin on stage. I couldn't agree more. Not that I'm not that I'm much of an outcast. I'm a straight white man, but <laughs> <laughs> I'm as down the centre as you can get. But but, it, but I think you know, and that is again the universality of Robin's music is that even as a straight white man, um, you know, with with an with objective privilege, um, you still feel that your moments of feeling outcast and your moments of feeling yeah. sad are represented in there. And this music is for is for everyone and, and everyone yeah. deserves to have that music that speaks to them. Um, you know, yeah, that's, that's the long and short of it. That's the, that's the tea. That's really beautiful. Right. Hey, I'm just here for the straight white men in my life. As a, ch- um. oh, thank you. <laughs> As a treat, I'm going to let you go onto your game. <clears throat> thank you. I'll run, th- I'll run through it nice and speedy. Um, my game for the final episode of Flop Stars for the season is call your girlfriend or another friend. So, and this is going yeah. to, what I wanted to do, because we know how good call your girlfriend is. And we saw it in the last round of, of games. And we've talked about call your girlfriend to, to a, a long extent already. We know how fucking good it is. But is there a song that involves the word friends out there somewhere that is actually better than call your girlfriend? Okay, I'm trying to think. I've got Apart some from the Friends theme, so well, I can't think. Well, of I've any. got four. I've got four. This isn't just a game for you to guess, for you to think of a song. I've actually got okay, songs. Cool. I want. I want. All right, you've done your work. I've done my. I've done my research. Um, this Great. is the absolute bare minimum of research, but I've done it. Um, <laughs> Look, you didn't come with a game last week, so it's a step up. Exactly. You know, ebbs and flows. <laughs> All right, first round of Call Your Girlfriend versus Another Friend. Call Your Girlfriend versus Girlfriend by Avril Lavigne. Remember Avril Lavigne recorded that song in like 16 different languages or something? I do. And remember the Lil Mama remix? Lil Mama and Avril Lavigne. I do remember the The Lil Mama. Classic. Look, that's a great pop song, I think. And one of Avril's best, but I just don't think it can compete with Call Your Girlfriend. Okay. That's a no for girlfriend. Um, I'm going to remain impartial on these. Um, This is all about you, Sam, and your thoughts. Oh, wow. Um, Oh, gosh, I'm excited now. I thought I was going to have to feign interest at your answers. No, not at all. (laughs) Fucking hell. (laughs) Ten minutes until the last episode of the season finishes and you... Oh, finally, the cats come out. The cats come <laughs> out to play. Um, Dropping oh, truth bomb. Second battle of Call Your Girlfriend versus Another Friend is Call Your Girlfriend versus Friends by Justin Bieber and Blood Pop. One of the great dance pop records of the last few years. Did she get the I always find that song so funny because I think the first line is so bizarre for a pop song. It's like, I was wondering about your, your mama. mama. 
like, why? Did, was it like, did she get the job she wanted or something? Did she get, yeah, did she get that job she wanted and that house she bought your father or something? Um, that was a, what a Very, great... Very um, Rockabye Anne Marie vibes to it. Um, I'll remind you that was a Tranter Michaels special, that song. Um, it was, and at the peak Julia. of all their powers, I think. Um, yeah. They were obviously doing really well with Selena and Bieber. And then... And then I think that song came as a standalone single, yeah, afterwards. Yes, I think it was the first of many standalone singles that came after purpose yeah it's a good song i wouldn't say i i feel like it's a little a bit of a poor man's what do you mean um what whereas i wouldn't say call your girlfriend's a poor man's anything so i'm gonna go with call your girlfriend again i'm sorry (sighs) uh yeah I (laughs) i i mean i do agree at the end of the day but calling friends a fucking poor man's what do you mean unbelievable but I love What Do You Mean? It's like my favourite Beaver song. So that's not a huge yeah. insult. I like it. Uh, now, you did foreshadow the third Call Your Girlfriend versus Friends um, thing because you did say the only Friends song you could think of was the Friends theme. So, Call Your Girlfriend versus I'll Be There For You by the Rembrandts. I heard the full version of that song for the first time not too long ago, and I would not recommend it. You know what's interesting about that song? Um, It was written... uh, There's a great podcast called And The Writer Is, if you're a fan of music. Um, Yeah. Go and check it out. Um, It was written by the songwriter who passed away really sadly earlier this year. Uh, Sorry, late last year. She died on Christmas Eve last year. Ali Wills. uh, Ali Willis, rather, um, who wrote um, a bunch of stuff for the Pet Shop Boys. She wrote September for... Earth, Wind & Fire. Oh, yeah, of course. Icon. She had this incredible, like, if, just Google her. She's so worth Googling. She's such an interesting woman. Um, she was broke, and but she did have a publishing deal, and she had to get a couple more songs out before her publishing deal was done, and then she was going to go and trade art for a living. And she wrote the song being like, fuck this, you know, it's just going to be this shitty sitcom. I'm just going to write it, whatever. No one wanted to record it because they thought that Friends was going to be this one-time pilot, and the Rembrandts were like, the saddest band that had nothing going on and recorded it. Obviously your go-to at that time, the Rembrandt. Exactly. So, um, yeah, there's a really interesting history behind that song. It was very much an underdog and it was very much meant to be swept under the rug and never become a thing, but it became a thing. So call your girlfriend or I'll be there for you by the Rembrandts. Well, now you've told that story, I want to go the other way, but (laughs) I would not have been close to doing that before the story. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so I'm going to stick I'm going to stick with Call Your Girlfriend Not Be Impulsive But I did enjoy that story And it, it's obviously one of the best Theme songs of all time mm. um, That and Home and Away So <laughs> uh, yeah but I'm still going to go Call Your Girlfriend Can't get sidetracked Alright final one in Call Your Girlfriend Versus Another Friend This will really trouble you This is going to keep you up at night Call Your Girlfriend or Friends by Marshmello and Anne-Marie Everything about... I mean, Nick knows this quite well. I've got a real soft spot for Anne-Marie and her vaguely Jamaican accent. 
<laughs> and friends was her friends was her peak, really. Um, and I remember <laughs> when we went we went to LA together, and friends was everywhere. Obviously, um, we walked and into we an apartment. banged on about Amory, <laughs> and of course, opposite was it your apartment is the hugest friends billboard you've ever seen. We stayed in this apartment, and the only billboard we could see, and it was enormous, was a billboard for Marshmallow and Anne Marie's friends. So we'd wake up every morning and see that out the window, and it was just beautiful. It was beautiful. <laughs> So there's all, so obviously this, a lot of history attached to it for you. So there is a lot are. of history. If we were talking, um, like Chow Adios or um Heavy, I would maybe consider going for one of those ones. <laughs> and I do like Friends. I love Anne Marie. God bless her. But <laughs> I have to go call your girlfriend again for obvious reasons. Yeah. Very good. All right, that was a wonderful round. I'm glad I could challenge you. Not we didn't get there, but I tried. I tried. Yeah, it was close. It was very close. I think the closest you got was um Anne Marie. Just for the record. <laughs> good. Speaking of close. All right, we're absolutely rambling on. We are. Speaking of what? Speaking of close. Spe- no, speaking of close. The next question on oh. the run sheet actually relates to that word. And I like it. It's like, oh, bloody hell, I don't want to have to talk about Dolly the Sheep or something. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome, Dolly the Sheep to Flopstar. Oh my god, we're so close. It's getting getting real cool. It's almost like we don't want to end. It's almost like we don't want to finish. Can you imagine if we could have Dolly the Sheep on the podcast? Welcome, Dolly the Sheep. Maybe that can be... Dolly the Sheep's dead, though, isn't she? Probably. I mean, she was up in the... Wasn't she in the first... um, Dolly the Sheep. Didn't they put Dolly the Sheep on the first plane to the moon? Not plane. Um, no. Did they? Oh, no. I lied. Um, <laughs> Dolly the Sheep died in 2003. Sorry, you're talking about Dolly Parton, I think. Dolly Parton didn't go to the moon. <laughs> what was the animal that went to the moon? Animal that went to the moon. I don't moon. know. Was it a dog? Or Lyca the dog. And she di- oh, it died. It died during the flight. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Is that, did Bianca just say yep? <laughs> yeah, Bianca just said yes. <laughs> our pro- our producer, our um, producer, <laughs> who's been quite mute all episode, has yeah. suddenly tuned in for Dolly the Sheep. <laughs> and now she's just mumbled under her breath. I know all about her. I have to say, 10 episodes and we finally claim the award for being the most <laughs> off-topic we've been. Like, yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> oh, God. All right, uh, let's we need it, to wrap this shit up. Home. It is going on. I, I just, I feel like we should give some justice to other songs on the record because obviously we've talked about the big singles because they're so good. But um, are there any so- other songs on the album that we haven't mentioned that come close to the genius of what we've discussed? Um, we're talking about coming close to Dancing on My Own, right? Because yeah. obviously Call Your Girlfriend comes very close. In fact, I dare say they're on par with one another in my books. Yeah. Is that controversial? Yeah, yeah, it's a bit controversial, but I think it needs to be discussed, you know? Yeah, exactly. Like, I think it's a good point. Hit potential. Um, hit potential, I think, potentially 
Um, potentially Hang With Me. Hang With Me feels like a hit. I don't think it quite does yeah. what Dancing On My Own and Call Your Girlfriend do so well. But I think if you had records like Dancing On My Own and Call Your Girlfriend throughout the whole album, it would get quite heavy to listen to. Whereas then you've got something like Don't Fucking Tell Me What To Do. Um where yeah. she's just kind of going through Love all it. the oh, it's so good. My drinking is too much. My drink, like, it's that's really that's really strong to me as well in such a different way, and that gives it the kind yeah. of edge and gives it the the depth that it um th- that makes it such a great album. So I would say there are equally good songs on there, but they just do different things and they exist for different purposes. What about you? Absolutely. I want to just talk about one song that I absolutely love and I still listen to a lot that I don't know if you remember, but around the body talk period, Robin had this weird partnership with Snoop Dogg. Yeah. And she, um, she was on one of his records called Sexual Eruption. And then he returned the favor on a song called You Should Know Better. And Robin's lyrics are just, just brilliant in You Should Know Better. There's one line when she says... When in Rome, I sat down with the Romans, said we need a black pope and she better be a woman. There'll be no celibacy. Even the Vatican knows not to fuck with me. Oh! And I mean, I love the Roman lyrics. It's very Nicki Minaj, Roman holiday energy. So good. That's brilliant. So good. And she just goes on. The CIA knows not to fuck with her. The FBI, the Russians. <laughs> I love I love that record as well from a production perspective. It almost feels like it was foreshadowing Blinding Lights a, a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. It's that vibe. Yeah. It's that like pacing 80s vibe. It's so good. Yeah, no, I, I'm fully on board with that track. And I love, I totally forgot about Sexual Eruption. That song was like actually a yeah. thing. Yeah. Crazy to think of Robin mm. and Snoop Dogg. Like how does that conversation even ignite between those two? I know. Just crazy. Um, there's another song called Stars Forever, which she still plays quite regularly live, and that's the closer of the album. Um, that one's brilliant as well. But, yeah. there, I mean, it's a great album from start to finish. It's just like, we're going to be here until next Thursday if we dissect all of them. So, I agree. <laughs> so let's move on to my final game, <gasps> and the final game of the season, and it's one that we started the season on. So it's a Robin review or an Ikea review. So I'm going to give you either a comment on a Robin YouTube video or a review of a piece of Ikea furniture. I love this idea and I'm so happy it's back. This was so good in the first episode when we did it with Carly Rae Jepsen. Let's, let's do it. So the first one is she likes to pull the rings off and chew on the bar in the middle. She likes to pull the rings off and chew on the bar in the middle. Um, this could either be talking about a dog or some kind of animal's reaction to a piece of Ikea furniture, or it could be about how Robin pulls off all the fakeness of records that were around at the time and chews metaphorically on the core of it. So... This is a hard one. I'm going to say Ikea furniture only because I have a lot of trouble with my rabbit chewing cords at the moment. Um, so it's on the mind. So I'm going to go with Ikea furniture review. It is. Yes. It's a baby chew toy from Ikea. Oh, that makes a bit more sense. I thought it was like a complaint that a dog was chewing on some sort of like bed frame or something. <laughs> Next one. 
<laughs> okay, the next one is believe I believe it's a little bit broken English, so bear with me. I believe you. I just got an idea. It starts with a hovercraft first, then oscillating jet turbines on the tail fins. You may know the rest. Dot dot dot. Holy shit! This sounds like it could be about a hover a hovercraft oscillating jet turbines on the tail fin. That I just don't know what IKEA would sell that has to do with hovercrafts, but it is a very big store. Uh, it sounds a bit DIY. I'm gonna go with this being some kind of long-winded relation to Robin's album. I'm gonna go with Robin review for this. You're correct. Yes, two from two, baby. It's, it's a comment on Robin's time machine. Oh, I get it. Which I guess kind of makes more sense. I don't know where, where exactly they were going, yeah. but somewhere. By the way... All right, just, the just next a, one is... Once, oh, yet another sidebar. And look, you can edit this out, but in our Google call that we've done today, we're trial, trialling a new new format of video call. I've turned on captions, yeah. the live captions, and they're perfect. What? They're perfect. It, How do I Punctuation and all. It's at the bottom where it says present oh, now, well, turn on captions. Well, I don't have anything oh, at the bottom. It might be different because you're on your phone. <laughs> but you can try it one day later. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> my right. apologies. I'm putting a, putting a marker in there to cut that bit out. <laughs> <laughs> the next one is Showstopper. Oh, come on. It's got to be longer and more detailed than that to... Give me some more context. Showstopper. I mean, Dancing on My Own is a showstopper. That makes sense. And the whole album's really a showstopper. But, uh, you know, really solid vacuum cleaner from Ikea could be... Do they sell vacuum cleaners at Ikea? I'm going to go Robin album. It's a review of an oven on Ikea. What a shit descriptor for an oven. Well, it's also quite funny because every, every review I read for this oven, everyone said it, like, made your house smell like it was going to burn down from, like, gas. <laughs> um, but this person was just, like, absolutely loved it. And all they wrote was showstopper. Oh, I'm happy so, they found something that worked for them. Yeah, exactly. All right, moving on. My phone is also getting sick of this. It's just told me it's on 10% battery. <laughs> Reminds me of the constant ever-marching momentum of time and how with each passing second I'm careering closer and closer towards the heart-wrenching inevitability of death. Oh. 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 Ah. <laughs> uh, Robin Album. That is a review of an IKEA clock. Damn it! Ikea All right, clock. One more. I had Let's an Ikea clock. up with one more. It was well, yellow. That way? It was yellow and I used to hide things in it that were not meant to be what? in Oh, okay. Yeah. I getcha. Yeah. Well, that's the thing that was stopping you from thinking about the heart-wrenching inevitability of death. <laughs> exactly. So that's why you don't have the same opinion on the Ikea clock. No, I ha- life was bad with the Ikea clock. Anyway, moving on. Final one, and this was the... Just the comment was literally this. I'm a middle-aged man who is six foot three and 300 pounds. 
Six foot three, 200 pounds. This is a comment on an Ikea bed, without a doubt. That was a comment on Call Your Girlfriend oh, by Robert. Oh, come on! <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope he's doing okay. I hope he's doing okay. Me too. I hope he's doing very well. Yes. God bless this man. <laughs> Is that us done? That's us done. Holy We're shit. We're finished. What an amazing series um, celebrating some of the best critically acclaimed pop records of all time and the best fandoms of all. Um, I feel really lucky that we, we did the last 10 episodes. I feel lucky that we've had a chance and a reason to revisit this music in a strange time of our lives. And it's been great fun doing it with you, Sam. I feel lucky as well. I've really loved it. And it's, it's quite funny because we started this thing obviously completely unaware of what was about to happen to us all and I think we recorded the second or third episode while I was in Italy and Italy was going into lockdown um obviously since then things turned even more to shit and now everything's a pile of shit but we've had these um albums to go back to and listen to and dissect in this this situation and it's been really kind of i don't know comforting in a way i don't know about you but i've been feeling quite nostalgic during this time and like going back to a lot of the albums i love and particularly this robin album just makes me miss being out and yeah dancing and like going to clubs and stuff it's it's very weird how i'm tapping into that music to fulfill the parts of me that aren't getting satisfied right now exactly and that's been the beautiful thing for it and i hope for anyone that's listened this season that you felt the same um we we will do a season two we we know roughly what it looks like we know roughly i think we know what we're going to start with um but we'll we'll do some we do don't we we, i can't remember what we i think we yeah we discussed okay one two three katie perry I thought we've already done Katy Perry. Oh, no, we haven't. You're right. It's Katy Perry. (laughs) (laughs) So bloody spoiler alert. You're getting a Katy Perry episode somewhere in the next three to eight weeks. Somewhere, somewhere, somewhere. And we're going to do a little spin-off season as well after this. Oh, yes. Um, I forgot about that. More details to come. Yes. We're not going to make that a spoiler. Like you've just blurted out the Katy Perry episode. I gave you a chance to also blurt something out, but that's okay. Now we're going to be held to that. What if Katy Perry becomes a murderer or a Nazi sympathizer between now and the next episode? Look, after the Zoom call I was on with her last week, I think anything's possible for her at the moment. (laughs) (laughs) Chaos. An absolute unhinged legend. And I have never been more invested in the life of Katy Perry. So we're going to dig into that next time. And speaking of unhinged legends, Sam, I've loved doing this with you the last 10 weeks. <laughs> <laughs> Bye! Bye!